Good morning, Northbrook. Today's text is Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. Uh, we have Bibles available in the back. If you do not own a copy of God's Word, uh, please take one of them with you. Okay. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Well, friends, it's always a joy to be able to stand here with you and open God's Word and seek the Holy Spirit together and see what He might have for us this morning. So hopeful for all that He will continue to do in our midst. Um, Before we get into the Lord's Prayer, I wanted to give a couple updates. Uh, One of the things I I get uh, the last two Sundays, at least, from several people is like, hey, how's sabbatical going? Or why are you here? Or what's going on? Um, so sabbatical starts in July, um, it's June, and that's fine. You, you'll, when you don't see me, you'll realize, oh, I guess he's on sabbatical now. Uh, but, um, but so some of you may not know this, we've announced this to our leaders and our members, uh, but um, the, Randy brought an idea to the elders a little while back uh, about me going on sabbatical, uh, kind of a proactive thing, just something for all the years I've been at different churches, uh, at all of those churches, there's typically a policy in place of about every five years, and I've not gotten to do that anywhere along the way. So anyways, he brought it to the elders, and the elders were like, and brought it to me, and I was like, yes, I will do that if that's what you want me to do. Um, And so July, uh, we're going to do what maybe is called like somewhat of a mini sabbatical, so we're going to have all of July off. Um, And uh, yeah, we're, we're greatly looking forward to just a season to be refreshed in the Lord. Uh, that we would rest from the day-to-day grind uh, of life and ministry and consider all that the Lord would have for us. And so another update along those lines is one aspect of that uh, was we were going to get counseling in sabbatical, but the, the guy that we wanted to go see, did not; those days didn't line up. So we actually just a couple weeks ago uh, went and me and Ginger did a counseling retreat uh, in the Smoky Mountains, Knoxville, Tennessee area. Uh, saw a guy that he just sees pastors. He used to be a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary, a PhD in psychology, um, and came highly recommended from other pastors that I know. And uh, to be honest with you, that trip was just glorious. It was, it was very sweet. A, a couple things I wanted to mention from it. One, just a, a sweet gift from the Lord. So we're in the Smoky Mountains. Uh, we, we do this, we plan on going on this little uh, a 10-mile bike ride, five-mile hike, um, in Cades Cove, they, they don't let cars in, and they just, anyways, they, it was a glorious thing. And so, and there's all these old uh, buildings around, so there's these three old churches that you can stop and look at. And so we stop at the first church, um, and then we hurt, just pull up in our bikes and hear this glorious refrain, glory, glory, hallelujah, coming from the church. Like, okay, I didn't think people were still meeting in this church, and they're not. But providentially, we stumbled upon this group that's going around to each of these churches, uh, learning about the history of the church and singing a hymn. 
And so in the beauty of the Smoky Mountains and the beauty of God's glorious creation, uh, we get to sing praises to our God with these other believers from uh, how great thou art to it is well. And it was just a sweet gift of the Lord uh, on like our, our second day of our trip. And that was just a kind of the, the like a glorious epic date day. Uh, a question that had just gotten infused a lot of guilt in me lately when Ginger has asked us like, hey, when's the last time you've had a really thoughtful date that you've planned for us? Um, and I thought, well, man, finally, we nailed it. We got it. It was like the best date, like a all day hiking, went to see Top Gun that night. It was glorious. Um, so, and then secondly, uh, you know, the, it was a counseling retreat. So we had a, a good bit of time by ourselves. We had about 11 hours with Jim and counseling is one of the things we've talked a lot about, something I've done a lot of as a pastor, something I definitely have received before uh, at different seasons of my life, but it's just been a really long time since I've sat in that seat or since either of us have been in that kind of seat of receiving counseling. And counseling is just one of those things, you just don't know how it's gonna go until it goes. This guy came highly recommended, we were hopeful, um, but it was just more than I, I could have imagined. Uh, by God's kindness and his grace, he used Jim to really minister so deeply to, to me and Ginger. Talked a lot about my story, uh, talked about a lot about our marriage, talked a lot, a lot, a lot about parenting and uh, Ginger's story as well. Um, and it was just, you know, again, you're, you're hopeful it's going to go okay. And then it just exceeded uh, every expectation of getting time with this guy and how he cared for us. And so just wanted to give you all that update. We, tend, uh, we plan to check in with him a couple times actually uh, throughout sabbatical. Uh, but yeah, so that is what we were up to, uh, not last week, but the week before. Oh yeah, and the other aspect of this that really just is uh, one of the local uh, Baptist organizations we partner with just paid for the whole thing. Like they granted uh, 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 some funds and then paid for all of the, count. it was just all, so I want to say it felt like it just was a gift. It was a gift that was just given uh, to me and Ginger and to Northbrook. And, to, um, and so I just want to praise God and, and share that with you, invite you all into that, and thank God for uh, that sweet gift. Um, yeah. So any questions about that, you can ask until July, and then, um, <laughs> you know, you'll have to wait till August. Um, so this is our last week in the Lord's Prayer. As I mentioned a while back, we chose to kind of slow down similar to, we, to how we did in the Beatitudes uh, and just kind of take this uh, verse by verse, thought by thought as Jesus teaches us how uh, to pray. And, and this morning will be similar to many weeks we've had before where we're just gonna kind of walk briefly through these, this one verse and then we're just gonna have some time to pray. Uh, we, we want to be a church of prayer. We, we, that's one of the desires that the elders have. That's what we feel like the Lord has led us. And so that's one of the reasons we've slowed down in this part is one, to, to be taught how to praise, that, that Jesus' words here as he teaches us will be a foundation that, that instructs us how to pray. But also we've used this time on Sundays to actually pray more than we might normally in our, in our Sunday gathering. And so we, we are hopeful for that. And that's how this morning is gonna feel. We'll, we'll take just a few minutes to, to walk through these words. And then we're just gonna have some time to pray about how Jesus is teaching us uh, to pray here, um, which is simply, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this is the way Jesus has ended this prayer. It's the way Jesus is in some way encouraging us to end our prayers. Um, but even as I think about the structure, I wanna say a couple things about the structure of the prayer as a whole. 
Uh, I, I think when we think of the Lord's Prayer, it should be instructive to our prayers. So it should help correct us. We've said this throughout uh, the Lord's Prayer, that it should correct if we're just focusing on one thing. Maybe all you do is pray to be delivered from temptation. Well, there are some other things you need to focus on. You need to focus on God's name being hallowed, his king, kingdom coming, his, your, your daily provision being, you, you need to, you know, your eyes need to be open to the other things you need to be prayed for. It needs to be instructive, but it's not prescriptive. It's not like every one of our prayers need to be exactly like this. Jesus is saying, pray like this. When we're praying, we need to be praying about these kinds of things. You can just look through the scriptures at the prayers in the scriptures, and you can see that they're not all exactly the same, and they, at different times, focus on different things. And so we don't need to be rigid and like, oh, we have to pray uh, this exact way every single time, but we do need to let it correct our prayers. Like, where, where do we focus, and where do we lack, and let Jesus, because Jesus is saying these are the things we all need to be praying about, but, but you should feel great freedom in your prayer life as uh, we learn from Jesus. And, and this is obviously a fitting way to end our prayers as we go from, if you just think about a time of prayer in the morning or at night, or we go from a devoted time of prayer to the world, to living in the world and all that we face, uh, Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I think one of the worst things we do with this prayer in particular is we never pray it specifically. I mean, we do that with the Lord's Prayer, but even verse 13 in particular, we, we may commit it to memory. Uh, we may even say it at times. Uh, but one of the worst things we can do, one of the ways we even demean the Lord's Prayer is just by reciting it as these beautiful words, which they are, but detached from our life. Jesus is giving us principles that we are, he's meaning for us to apply in our very lives. He's keeping it very general so that any of us can apply it. And one of the ways we, take, we can even take this prayer is, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Oh, hey, Lily, good to see you. Um, uh, is, uh, one of the ways we take this prayer is we just say it like that generally, and, and we overlook the fact that we have temptation. Like we have specific temptation in our lives. We have temptations uh, that, that Jesus is, is wanting us to pray about, wanting us to address, wanting us to resist. He's not just saying pray this general prayer. He's like, no, you have real temptation in your life, and this is how we need to take this prayer. Um, some of those temptations we're facing could be devastating. It could be adultery. It could be malice. They could be gossip. They could be vengeance. Some temptations that are very um, kind of in your face and loud and cause a lot of damage in your life and others. And some of the temptations we face may be more subtle. Anxiety, prayerlessness, foolishness, um, fear of man. Maybe temptations that others may not even notice if you give in to them or not, but you know they're there. And Jesus is telling us to pray about the temptations that are present in our lives. Not just deliver us from some general, vague, ambiguous temptation, but the actual temptations that we face day in and day out to not be led into them. Well, he's, praying, he's encouraging us to pray two ways. One, to not be led into those temptations, and two, to be delivered from evil. The, the wording for that first part, to not be led into temptation, it's we, we all probably get the meaning, but it, the wording may seem a little quirky. Jesus isn't saying that God 
He's not saying, God, don't be the one who lead me into temptation. God doesn't tempt anyone. We'll see that here in a minute. Jesus is saying, God, keep me from being led into temptation. So there's temptation before me. Help me resist it. Protect me from it. Help me not step into it. Um, James 1 helps us see this clearly and helps us see even what temptation is in a way. James 1, verse 12, blesses the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And so when Jesus is talking about keep us from being led into temptation, one of the things he's focusing on is that temptation that comes from within. That, that, that it may be something that's presented to us, but we're tempted by it because of something within us. Um, that we aren't just helpless victims to the temptations that we come into contact with. That's the meaning of temptation. Like we, there's a desire in us to do that very thing or else we would not be tempted to it or else it wouldn't be a temptation for us. Um, but that's what Jesus is getting at. I think 1 John 2.16 kind of talks about these different categories where we see this in our, own height, in our own hearts and in the world. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, there's three different things uh, John's gonna say here. The desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not from the Father, but it is from the world. Again, we're not innocent victims when temptation comes knocking. We are often willing participants. And passivity is one of temptation's greatest allies. Like our, our passive response to temptation are just like, oh, this is, you know, this may happen, or this is happening, or this is happening to me. Or, uh, but that's why one of the reasons Jesus is calling us to pray, because it's active. It's being active in temptation. It's not just sitting there letting things happen. It's being active and asking God to do something and asking for his help in the midst of temptation that we're actually facing. This is what Jesus is calling us to do. We like to think sin just happened. We don't even remember choosing it. That's a lie. We think of uh, Aaron and the golden calf. It's like, just put this gold in this pit and it just came out. This golden calf just came out. And we, we laugh at his response because it's so comical, but we fall into that same response so often in our own lives with the temptation we face. Like, well, it was just there. It just happened. Or I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't before me. And the scriptures uh, disagree with that. That is a lie. And so we should be active, not passive, but active. And when we're active and pray about temptation, pray not to be led into temptation, it reveals a few things. One, it reveals if we want the temptation more than anything else. If you've talked to people about temptation in a life, some people are honest enough to say, I'm actually not sure I want to be free from this temptation. Some, some of us are, get honest enough, we're like, man, I don't want to pray about this because it might actually work, and I really want this in my life. I may even struggle with it. I may even not like that I, it's there, but I want it there, and I'm afraid of what's going to happen. When, and so when we, if we don't pray about it, we, we don't have to kind of come to grips with those thoughts. We don't have to realize that. But when we begin to pray, that can be exposed of, man, I, I actually don't want to pray to be free from this temptation. It's very, can be revealing in that way. 
Also, when we pray, we can pray in a way that reveals that we're justifying temptation, that all of our prayers revolve around convincing God and convincing ourselves that this is kind of okay. And we can get pretty crazy here. This is why we don't need to be isolated in this, and I'll talk about that here in a little bit, but we actually start to pray to God to justify the very thing we know he has called us not to do. And we make excuses, and we use scriptures out of context, and we just try to, we can go even manic in trying to justify and trying to fix our, our sensitive conscience to, to be okay with whatever this temptation is uh, before us? Do your prayers revolve around this temptation in a way that tries to justify it? Like, okay, maybe it's not that big of a deal, or maybe if it's just this way or that way, or God, I think, I think you're okay with this maybe. And, you know, when you start to talk about both sides of your mouth and be really hesitant, the difference between that and the other thing that prayer can reveal is that we really desire to be free from it. That we pray like David, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That we hate that we're struggling with this thing. But it's real, it's present, it's a temptation we bite into, it's a temptation that continues to maybe even uh, habitually kind of grab a hold of our hearts, but we hate it, and we wish we could be free from it. Uh, and that's what Jesus is, obviously, that's what the scriptures would encourage us to. It's what we see in the Psalms of repentance. Uh, yeah. So when we pray, when we're active and asking God, it reveals those kinds of things. Do we really want to be free from it? Are we justifying it? Or do we actually still really want it more than anything else? And then the second thing Jesus encourages us here is to be delivered from evil, or other translations will say the evil one, which I think works as well. And this reminds us who we are up against. Uh, I was waiting for Ginger to get home one night this week, and so I watched, stumbled onto Dunkirk, the movie. Anybody seen that one? A couple of you. Uh, when one of the beginning scenes it um, has a, like this band of soldiers that's kind of rummaging through a vacant town, basically, uh, just kind of rummaging around, seeing what's up. And then uh, they are unaware of how close the enemy is. Um, and that unawareness leads to the most devastating of consequences, that, that all but one of them uh, escape and die. Um, and, and I think when in war, in moments like that, one of the most important things is to know where the enemy is, know how he might attack, know what his plans are. Um, and when we don't know that and we're caught unaware, again, it can have devastating consequences. And this part of Jesus' prayer reminds us that there are dangers all around us. So we need to be delivered from the temptation that's within us. There is a temptation and a desire within us, but there are uh, forces outside of us that want real evil for us. Great evil is lurking. Great evil is lurking around us. There are real heavenly beings that have the power of God's angels with the sadistic corruption of a will opposed to God. And they went for all of us to burn out, to give into temptation, and to die and go to hell with them. That's their agenda for me and for you. Um, and, and we aren't near as strong as we think we are. Um, if we could see them, we would be terrified, rightly, uh, and in need of someone much more powerful than any of us. And that's what Jesus is encouraging us to do, to call out to someone that is so much more powerful than any of us, that he would deliver us from the evil one. 
The great Puritan Thomas Watson talks about the devil tempting us by showing us the bait and hiding the hook. You know, we get that. Uh, You know, anybody that has even known anything about fishing, you know, a fish thinks it's about to get a good lunch, and then it's the end of its life, and it becomes lunch. Um, And and what a dumb fish, and yet how often we, we see the bait and we think, this is glorious, or this is okay, or this is just a moment. Um, and what the enemy does is hide the hook. Um, and again, this happens in those devastating, clear ways of like the things that are in our face, but this happens also in those more subtle temptations, day by day by day, that all of a sudden we look up and we're like, what, what happened here? Uh, this is how the enemy tempts. And this is why Jesus is saying we need to pray. Again, we aren't near as strong as we think we are. And giving into temptation can have devastating consequences. So one of the things the scriptures are clear about is, and I'll say this so much more clearly here in a minute, is that every sin that we could ever ever commit, ever have committed, has a complete and utter grace and forgiveness found in all that Jesus has done for us. So there's no way to get out. You can't squirm out of the grace of the gospel. It's there, it's prevalent, it's overflowing, it's eternal. You can't exhaust it. Any sin you've ever committed finds its uh, match in God's grace. That when you humble yourself before Jesus, when you put your faith in him, there is no sin that is not covered by his grace. It's just true. It's completely true. There's no, there's no but. There's no, but what about this? There's no, but there is an and. Giving into temptation can have devastating consequences. We can't let the uh, eternal, free, beautiful grace of God help us ignore the rest of the scriptures that show that giving into temptation can have devastating consequences in our life. And that is not a wrong motivation to not give into temptation. Like we should, it's, it's okay to want to be faithful to God and not suffer the horrific consequences that temptation can have in our life. Now, obviously, does it always have those devastating consequences? No, it's not like a, we uh, went with the kids, uh, we, we've kind of had the talk with both of our older kids and um, about sex and all that that is and, and even some of the temptation that comes with that. And uh, some of that is, some resources out there are so helpful, but what I find with a lot of resources is some of it's super helpful and some of it um, kind of tries to scare kids away from temptation uh, just by guilt or by the fear of consequences um, or, or scare them away in a way that are even exalts, you know, basically virginity above everything else and, and really demeans the gospel and all God is and the redemption and grace that is there for us. And so I think there can be this tendency um, to do that even in that temptation. But here is the reality that temptation and sin has consequences and sometimes they are devastating. Uh, so we need to be mindful of that. So when we pray in these two ways, to, to uh, not be led into temptation and be delivered from evil, one of the things that helps is to know ourselves, like to know what temptation looks like for us. I said, if we're going to apply this passage, not just ambiguously, not just generally, but actually specifically to our lives, we need to know ourselves. One of the best authors on this, if you can read him, is John Owen. He has a lot of works on just overcoming sin and temptation. The title of one of his books are The Mortification of Sin. I know they sound like real page turners, but they're, uh, they're really helpful and they're really good. And in one of my works on Owen, uh, uh, Kelly Capick, 
uh, gives this kind of synopsis in the intro to uh, Owen's work on overcoming sin and temptation. And he says this, faithful living does not always look the same. Owen consistently calls his readers to understand their own temperaments because this will help them better appreciate how sin and temptation arise in their own lives. He recognizes that some people are by birth and experience earthy. I love that part for some reason. Um, And while others are naturally gentle and still others tend to have passionate dispositions. It's a very polite way of saying that. Um, The challenge for all is to learn about their own constitution. And this is, he's quoting Owen here when he says, he who watches not this thoroughly, who is not exactly skilled in the knowledge of himself, will never be disentangled from one temptation or another all his days. Uh, We need to know ourselves and we need to know our tendencies. That's what John Owen is saying there. And that when we don't, we are more susceptible to giving in to the same temptation over and over and over again. Because we see this person over here and they don't struggle with that or it doesn't look that bad. It's like, oh, no, this is not, uh, we we compare. um, But the reality is this temptation may be very hard for this person and not hard at all for you. But you know what? You have something else that is hard for you. None of us escape this. Even if you read Owen Moore, because we can even read that and think, oh, the gentle person, they've got it going for them. No, they don't. They have a list of temptations that they would be um, more drawn to than the more passionate person. They're just different. And so do you know yourself? Do you know your disposition? And do you know the temptations that if the enemy is going to tempt you with this bait, what is your bait? We need to be aware of that. Uh, And I think one of the things that we must get over in becoming self-aware is just sensitivity. Um, Sensitivity is just going to be an enemy of self-awareness. Like if there's things you just don't want to talk about, things you can't talk about, things, is there any subject in your life where people feel like they're walking on eggshells around you or they just don't even do that because they just don't, they know it, you'll blow up or you'll shut it down or you're just hard to talk to about this. When we get sensitive about any area of our life, it is the enemy of being self-aware uh, because we're not willing to talk about it. We're not willing to understand. We're not even really willing to come to grips with it ourselves. Um, and so are we willing to kind of consider what is our tendency here what might we be prone uh, to give into? And I think even here, a good a pastoral reality is when we're walking with someone through temptation or struggle, even a, a significant sin, you know, one of the things that's good to consider is, man, is there a lot of weakness? Is this sin coming from a place of weakness in their life, uh, a tragedy in their story, struggle that's happened, or is it just outright rebellion? You know, is it high-handed, I don't want to do this, I want my own way, or is there hurt and there's struggle and there are things that have happened that have actually do lead to temptation, but there but are different realities. Do you even know that about yourself? Like, man, I just love to run after this one thing, or man, I feel so wounded in this area that I feel I need validation in this one way. Um, and in some ways, we need to even be a little more patient with ourselves. Um, one of the, the if, if sensitivity is an issue, the other thing is perfectionism. Like we don't want to realize that we struggle with sin. And so it str- we struggle to even, you know, figure out and, and kind of be patient with ourselves in the midst of sin. Like we've, I've said this often, but, um, we think about the struggle of, you know, there's something about sexual sin that, that we just want to be so free from, uh, that we, we equate faithfulness with either I do this or I don't do this. 
And what we don't have in mind is, okay, what does it actually look like to faithfully walk with Jesus in the midst of this struggle? And we, we stay stuck because it's just, just faithfulness looks like I'm never going to be tempted or do this ever again in my life, as opposed to, okay, there's a way to seek Jesus in the midst of this struggle. Uh, and sometimes we just need to be patient enough with ourselves uh, to navigate the temptation that is coming our way. Uh, another just common verse that is super helpful in temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 11 through 13. Now, these things happen to them as an example, talking about um, Exodus and Israel in the Exodus narrative. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So simple, but so true. Verse 13, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And we've all seen this verse taken out of context where God won't give you more than you can handle. Um, and that's not what this verse is talking about. We often, we, we live in a reality of more than we can handle. Like we're, if we had actually would be better if we just accepted right now in my normal life, there is much more than I can handle. This is talking about temptation, not just struggles and life. And uh, this is saying God in temptation, that there is a way out. That, that what God has, has promised to provide here? Um, are you always surprised by your sin? Just thinking, no, there was no way out. It just happened. Are you unaware of the significant dysfunction in your life? Again, just unawareness. Um, and so another way of saying that there's no way out. Uh, or do you think, you know, kind of the opposite of this verse, Jake, you just don't understand how significant these temptations are. You just don't get it. You don't get what's going on in my life. Um, is that Again, the opposite where Paul is saying, there's no temptation that's overtaking you. That's not common to humanity, that you're not unique. And that's one of the things the enemy does. He makes us think, man, this is the most significant this has ever been. This is the hardest this has ever been. No one would understand what I'm going through. And no one perfectly understands what you're going through. You're you, no one's lived your life. But the scriptures are saying there's no temptation that has come to me or your life that isn't common to us all in some way, and also that there is uh, a way out. Um, our pride lies to us here, saying, oh, I would never fall into a sin like that. Or our pride says, I struggle with this, but it isn't my fault. That's what our pride reveals. But take heed lest you fall. And, and then the reality is the only way to escape is Jesus. Like he is the way, he is the one that's provided the way of escape. He is our escape. So to demean uh, the way of escape in our life from temptation is to demean who Jesus is and what he has done. But again, if we have to flee to him every moment throughout every day because the temptation is so prevalent or whatever it might be, he is the way of escape. And so to say this temptation has overtaken me uh, in a way that is uncommon to man, in a way that is unavoidable, is to demean the very work of Jesus in your life and our life. Again, we're weak. We sin. We will sin. Uh, but there has always a way of escape. If not, then what are we forgiven for? If there was no way to avoid sin, uh, then what are we responsible for? But look back at verse 13. Highlight a couple things as we close. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Another great ally we have to resist temptation is just this word that's repeated twice, just us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This temptation that we're delivered from is personal deliverance, but it's experienced as a community. That, that we're not isolated in our struggle and we're not isolated in the celebration of God's deliverance or the need for God's help or the prayer that we pray together that God would deliver us from evil, that he would deliver us from temptation. Fighting temptation isn't an isolated battle. You need to figure out what keeps you from inviting your church community into your temptations and resist that. What is it that keeps you from inviting your church community into the temptations you face? Whatever that is, that is one of the things you need to be resisting. Isolation is one of our enemy's oldest tactics, and we are often willing accomplices. We want to be isolated in our temptation. We don't want anybody to know about it, even our temptation. Like we feel shame about things we haven't even given into yet. Like temptation means we haven't sinned. It means it's there before us, and we don't even invite in people into that because we feel shame around that at times. And that's then, again, the enemy breathing those lies into our life and our heart and our mind of shame and guilt before it's even present. Um, and we need to see why we keep people out. Uh, at the last men's night, we asked what keeps us from confessing our sins uh, with one another. And you should ask that question to yourself. And consider what the answer is. And then again, resist whatever is keeping you from inviting people into these areas of your life. Um, and I want to encourage you, if you need to seek community, if you need, you need help, you're like, man, I want that. I'm not even sure how to get that. A ask me. I'd love to help you. It, it, it's, it's probably not going to be me walking that road with you. It might be, but I know a lot of men and women who would love to walk that road with you. By God's grace, he's given us this culture here at Northbrook of men and women that do fight this fight together. Um, and you can be invited into that. Uh, so I'd, I'd love to help you find community in that way. And then lastly, Jesus is encouraging us to ask for deliverance. So instead of being led into temptation, Jesus is saying, ask to be led into redemption. And I think about as Jesus is preaching this sermon on the mound and teaching us to pray, he has in mind of what is going to take, what it's going to take to bring about this very deliverance. I think he's looking at the faces in the crowd, looking at the faces down through generations, looking to us, knowing us before we even were, and looking at us and knowing what it's going to take to bring about our deliverance, even as he's talking about that now. He knows this word will even be used against him as he hangs on the cross. Matthew 27, verse 43 Listen to this spoken to Jesus. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. The deliverance Jesus has brought us is a once and for all. It is final or in his words, it's finished. There's, there's no more to be done. And so now we live in light of that deliverance. When it comes to being delivered from temptation, we have one hero. It isn't you, it isn't me. When we're looking to resist temptation, when we're looking for the way out, it isn't that we've you know, got up enough strength. It isn't we've got one hero to look to. 
We've got one that has actually delivered us, one that has done everything on our behalf, and it's him that is the one that we look to. He's the one that is, when he's saying for us to be pray to be delivered from, he's the very one that has done that delivering. And so we get to look to him, we get to seek him, we get to desire him, we get to lay down our pride of thinking we could do it all or thinking we shouldn't be tempted by this or, or this temptation is so hard and I feel so alone in this. We get to lay all of that down and realize that picking those things up means we're the hero and we're not the hero. Jesus is the only hero to save us from any temptation we will ever face. We have ever faced, we might ever face. He's the only one that can do it all, and he has done it all. It's already, it's already happened. So there's no more to be done for you to be delivered. We just get to continue to turn back to deliverance that he has already won on our behalf. Because of Jesus, we have hope of resisting temptation or forgiveness when we don't resist temptation. Again, he is the way of escape. He's the one that perfectly resisted the devil on our behalf. He is the one that was tempted in every way, yet resisted perfectly. And so because of this, we cry out with Paul in Romans 7, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who will deliver you? There's only one, and he has already done it. So you can say that with Paul, as wretched as I am, I see that I'm in great need of deliverance. Who could ever do this? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you have temptation in your life and Jesus went through death and God's wrath to free you from it. So let's take a moment now to face it. Let's take a moment now to pray and consider with Jesus not just this ambiguous statement of deliver us from some general temptation, but what does temptation actually look like in our lives? What are you going through right now that is hardest in your life? How are you responding to that? What does the temptation look like in that area? Again, sometimes we think of just the big sins in our life and we think we forget about the frustrations of uh, our bitterness or our struggle or and experiences that we're experiencing at work or in family or with friends. Um, so let's pray together. Go ahead and bow your eyes. Bow your, sorry. If you know how to, you can bow your eyes or your heads. We're going to take just a few moments here to pray. That God would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In this moment, just even take a moment to prayerfully consider your story, how it shaped the temptations in your life. As you pray, I'm going I'm to leave you this quote from Kevin DeYoung and see what, what's most alluring to you. Kevin DeYoung says this, in which room is the devil most likely to whisper into your ear? Is it the bedroom with its pleasures? Is it the boardroom with its power? Or the bathroom mirror with its pride? Where are you most likely tempted? I'm gonna give you just a moment to pray.
Would you consider one more quote as we continue to pray? It's from Garrett Kell. He says, before sin, Satan is the tempter who whispers, you should do this. After sin, Satan is the accuser who whispers, how could you have done this? Satan kills through temptation and then buries with guilt. What are the things that Satan is saying, you should do this, and what is the things Satan is saying, how could you have done this? Take a moment to lay those before Jesus. And then lastly, I'm going to leave you with one more quote and a time of prayer, and then we'll conclude our time. From C.S. Lewis, it says, This is my endlessly recurrent temptation to go down to that sea and there neither dive nor swim, but only dabble and splash, careful not to get out of my depth and holding on to the lifeline of my things temporal. Consider the temptations that keep you from giving every ounce and every aspect of your life over to this God and diving deep into the sea of his love and his life for you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In Jesus' name, amen. I do hope and pray that the Spirit did something that we just continued to walk in, that this isn't a moment that comes and goes without continuing to seek what he would have us do from here. Again, who we would invite into these areas of our life and how we continue to lay down the areas of temptation we face. Uh, may he continue to work in our midst in that way.